so good morning. Uh, I am not Josh, uh, nor am I Lance, nor am I Lance. The, uh, I think there was some misunderstanding, uh, as word was going around and different things were going to happen. The, uh, um, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak um, today, and um, I'm grateful that a few of you decided to stay, so thank you, that was nice. Uh, not anymore. Close and lock the doors. <laughs> the uh, I'd like for you guys, if you can, um, I do, this is different. These lights are a lot brighter. But uh, would, uh, uh, I would like you guys to, if you would, imagine with me a, a day that you would consider a good spiritual day. All right? Maybe that day is today. Maybe that day is the day that you woke up before your alarm. Right? And before you even hopped out of bed, you turned to God and you said, thank you for this day. What a glorious day, a wonderful day. You're on track with your reading plan, right? You're reading through God's word. You're having a glorious day. You get to relax through the morning. Uh, your attitude towards your family and your friends has been, uh, towards your family as you're getting ready has been positive, right? The thoughts of sin in your life are just non-existent. Uh, you're on this place where you just feel that God, you, you are connected with God today. I want you to think about what that day feels like. Hopefully you've had one. Uh, hopefully you feel a joy. You're expecting God to work in your life. You're looking for it. You're looking around the corner, waiting for that, expecting that. Now, conversely, I'd like you to think of a day that is maybe a, what we might call a bad day spiritually. That day might also be today, right? Not only do we snooze our alarm, but we turn it off. We miss it completely, right? We wake up rushed, completely forgetting about God on our mind, and we skip past our devotions. We skip past our prayer. We rush through breakfast, drinking down whatever quickly we can do in, you know, in two seconds as we rush out the door. We give a little thought to our family, or if we do, we're irritated that we are behind. We're, we're running out of time. We haven't got to the things we want to when we rush on to our day. As we grow in our frustration, maybe we act out in our sin or we grow uh, angry or um, hurtful throughout the day. And we just sense a disconnect from God. We sense that there's nothing about our day that God is going to work in our lives. We don't anticipate God. We don't see him. We don't think that we can wait for him. I'm sure we've all had a day like that. As we think about those two days, why do you think that we often believe that God is less likely to use us on a bad day than on a good? You can respond if you'd like. Because God is good. And maybe that day we weren't so. I think what we often tend to do is think that God can't use us because on the, on the first thought in our mind that we're not worthy on a bad day, right? We haven't lived up to that expectation. We haven't done that 
thing, right? We haven't been the Christian we're supposed to be. I want to point out something about our sins. Um, that our sins tend to be in two categories uh, that we would call our sins of uh, commission and our sins of omission. Uh, does anybody know the difference? Yes. Good. Anybody like to share that difference? Yep. Right. So we have sins of commission, right? The things that God says do not do and we do them. And we have sins of omission where God says do this thing and we don't. Please silence your phones. I want us to think about this uh, good day, bad day scenario in our minds as we play it. I, th- I think we, t- we tend to play this a lot in our minds as we function through the life of Christianity. As we, as we go on from salvation and we move on to good days and bad days and we think we're connected to God. This is, this is kind of the, the momentum, the movement that we're going to on here. But I want you to think about something. On a good day versus a bad day, we define sins differently. I think as Christians we tend to de- uh, define sins more as... Uh, kinds of sins, right? I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. I'm not sexually immoral, right? We put them in big categories like this because it's easy to move past them. But I'd, I'd like us to think on those good days when we've categorized them so largely and we go, I'm not anywhere in those camps. I want us to think of the words in Matthew, several passages in Matthew, actually 22, 39, where we're called, uh, Jesus is asked about the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor, right? Do we demonstrate that? Let's go down a little bit deeper here, Matthew five twenty one. it says that uh, do not murder, and Jesus is calling out that if we even have anger in our heart towards someone, it's like we've murdered. It's narrowing those sins down a little bit, right? It's narrowing that down. It's getting a little bit closer to home. Uh, Matthew 5, 28. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, or we could do the other way, right, ladies? Lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. That narrows it down a bit more, huh? Matthew 5, 48. This one really touches home. Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And none of us are perfect, are we? Puts a different perspective on our good day and our bad day, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like we tend to have very many good days, does it? And it's interesting how our mind changes based on what we're pursuing during those good days and bad days. What's my point? My point is that regardless of your performance during the day, we are dependent on God's grace. Amen? We often lose that. I think the something I've been studying recently is in a, a book called The Discipline of Grace by uh, Jerry Bridges, and that's actually where this started in my mind of where, where we're going today of uh, preaching the gospel to yourself, and we'll, we'll get there. But he says, he says this, your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, right? And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. It doesn't just end when we realize that Christ has saved us from our sins. 
we have the rest of our life to live. We're quick to call out that grace in, as unbelievers. We'll take it. We'll grab a hold of it. Yes, good. We're saved. I've got it. But we rarely rely on God's grace in, in our lives as we're believers. I think we, we have a tendency to do that. We think it in our mind. I think we would say it. But if we look back at those good days, bad days, we tend to look at a good day and go, I'm a little closer to God. And a bad day, I'm a little further away. I want to discuss with you guys a difficult topic of God's grace. Some have argued, and it's even mentioned in Romans 6.1, Paul talks about it. But the idea of talking about the grace of God in our lives uh, opens it up to believers taking advantage of God's grace. I was actually sharing with someone uh, this past week about that very thing in my own life. I grew up, uh, my, my testimony, I grew up in a church um, around, uh, you know, uh, Christ, the Bible, uh, my family, uh, the church body. Uh, my entire life, I was saved when I was eight years old. I didn't do any of my major sinning until after I was saved. In fact, there were times that when I sinned, it was in spite of God's grace. That very passage from Paul that talks about in 6, 1, uh, Romans 6.1, it says, Should I continue to sin? By no means. Should I continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means should we continue to do that. But I took advantage of it, and I did it anyways. Knowing how far God's grace would cover. But I tell you what happened as a result of that. God worked in my heart because of that. As I mentioned the last time I spoke, God disciplines those he loves, right? God works in our hearts to do that, and I believe that he disciplined me in times to pull him towards him um, in spite of me trying to take advantage of that. I don't believe that we can take advantage of God's grace uh, to the extent that, uh, it, that God is hurt by any way um, by this, that we can't, that God doesn't use that to show how deep of a need we have for him. The gospel is for unbelievers to the point of salvation, right? We gravitate towards that. We, we pull towards that. We see and we push the evangelistic messages. God's grace is for non-believers, right? Unbelievers, people that don't know Christ. It's, we're going to grab that. He will forgive all your sins, and we pull on to that. But it's also for believers. It's the power of God and the motivation because of what God has done in our lives, on our day-to-day -day lives. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says that the love of God uh, the love of Christ controls us. I believe it's the NIV that says the love of Christ compels us. It motivates us, and I believe that's what God did in my heart as well. So even though I took advantage, right, of God's love in that thing, God's grace and mercy reached out, and his love impacted my heart and made a change down the road. Whether a good day spiritually or a bad day, we are in need of God's grace. So I want to encourage you on a daily basis to go back and remind yourself of the gospel of Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. If you guys will look with me, uh, turn to Romans 3. Romans 3, verse 19 through 25. I'll give you a minute to get there. I'm going to read this whole thing, so 
Uh, bear with me. We'll go back and cover it. Romans three nineteen through 25. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no man being, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. This passage right here is, is known or could be, could be known or could be titled as the heart of the gospel. Um, you can find the gospel in a variety of different locations in the Bible, but this particular one, um, we're, we're going to kind of work through this. Um, and it's good to remind yourself, uh, really daily, um, but you know, time to time to remind yourself of these things. Romans uh, verses 19 through 21. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world will uh, may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God does not come from obeying the law. Righteousness, and here we're going to define some words. There's actually a few others that we'll get to as well. Um, righteousness here is defined as the exact and perfect conformity to the law of God. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. James 2.10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails at one point has become guilty of all of it. I know you guys have heard this, these expressions and these descriptions of uh, sin in our lives um, from a lot of different versions. And I can, I can uh, different passages talk about it. And every time this comes up, I am repeatedly reminded of a college roommate I had who always used this example. We were uh, both in school for uh, youth ministry, and so his examples were always a bit uh, different than everyone else's. Uh, but he had... Right, if we were to put this works, um, what God has called us to do, the, the law, this works type of thing, into a the illustration of a batch of cookies, right? We have created a batch of cookies. We've made one. We've worked one up. We have one, and I'd like you to imagine I have one on the table here for you. Um, I just want you to know that in each of these cookies, I just thought I'd tell you, um, there's a little bit of dog poo. Now, it's just a little bit of dog poo, all right? It's just, just a little bit. It's okay. You, you, you can't smell it, right? We've, so, in fact, what I've done is, even though I knew there was just a little bit of dog poo, I doubled the batch so that you really can't even really taste it. How, how many people are going to grab a cookie? Or, did I hear a, I might? <laughs> My goodness gracious. No, we... <laughs> Oh, from from five. Well, okay. The so 
here's the idea, right? That we like to, we go through our lives and we, and we'll share this, right? We share this message with unbelievers. So this is, this is, I'm talking to believers here with, with this whole part as we go back. Cause we, 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 we wrestle with these things on a daily basis. When we look at our sin in comparison to God, God's perfect law, righteousness required by God is perfection, perfect cookies, dog poo, not on the list, right? Why that dog poo is there, I do not know, but it's there, and, we, and it's in the batch, right, and we've got it. And that tiny amount, no matter what it is, no matter where we put that on the scale of our sins, have, has ruined the entire batch. It's ruined our perfection. It's ruined our righteousness before God. This is a key element in understanding this. When we're unbelievers, we would acknowledge this readily. God has forgiven our sins our actions do not put us in the right relationship with Jesus Christ, right? The things, the works that we do, the, the things that we try to, to live up to the law, they don't do it, they don't make it. But however, as believers, we often continue to live our lives as if our actions are now what maintains our relationship with God. Does that sound familiar in your life of a good day? Does that sound familiar in your living of a Christian life that oftentimes we forget that part that we were once sinners and God by his work alone made us righteous not by anything that we do but we try to live up to those expectations day in and day out to go that I'm the one now maintaining my righteousness and that's not where we stand Verse 21 again, it says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. We cannot attain, oh, I'm sorry, God has a way of righteousness. God has established that way of righteousness that's apart from the law. We can't attain it on our own, but God has provided a way. Jesus is that way. Jesus is God's son who came and lived a sinless life, lived the perfection, lived the example of righteousness for us, lived a perfect life, and then he died fulfilling that perfectly as well, even though he was not deemed sinful himself. Jesus lived historically. This is a real thing. I know last week I mentioned <clears throat> a little bit about the TV series The Chosen. I'm not, I don't want to necessarily call this out as a great show or a bad show, um, but the idea of shows about Jesus, right, will often make it seem like a, a, just a story. But what's different when I've watched these things, and I've, wa I've watched several episodes, is it's different when you realize that that stuff happened. Right? Maybe not exactly the same way that they're depicting it, but in a sense, this is a documentary that they're putting forward regardless how they, they believe it, we believe that these things really happened. Jesus was really there. And as you see him interact, what a different perspective it puts on just the story, right? We say, oh, we're going to read the story of this, the story of that. This, we believe this is true. This isn't just a story. Jesus really did live. And he really did live a perfect life. And he really did die in our place undeservedly there's a legal standing before God that through faith the righteousness of Christ is transferred to us it's credited to us on that day of salvation 
the day that we've accepted Christ in our lives, we are credited with that righteousness right there and then. Right? Guaranteed. What it does is it covers us. Isaiah 61.10 it's a prophetic passage that talks about that. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation and has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This was looking forward to the Messiah that would one day come and do that and has covered over our sins, paid for our sins, and has covered us and cloaked us in his righteousness. We look and we remember that. Unless we learn to live daily by this faith in his righteousness, our perfection and our standing before God will change from day to day in our minds, whether the day is good or bad. But know that you stand before, right, before God righteous on account of Christ. The righteousness of God, verse 22 the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. Here, the righteousness of God is received through faith in Jesus Christ. The word believe here, I wanted, I wanted to give a little bit of an example. The word believe here is maybe better understood as reliance upon. It's not just the belief, yes, there was a Jesus, yes, there was a something, like uh, just this random belief in the, the abstract but this is a reliance on Jesus Christ. I want to give a, give a motto. If we, I've got two little stools up here. Hopefully there's no feedback. But the, if we're going to consider this, my works, my effort, my, my works of the law, the things that I'm trying to do in order to gain perfection, I'm never going to get there. All right? But over here, I have the work of Christ on the cross in his, in his efforts, in his sacrifice. The problem is I can't, I, I can believe that there are two chairs, but my reliance is that I cannot sit in both chairs at one time, right? I can't sit here and stretch to that and then, and include a little bit of God, and I, I can't be over here with, with God and stretch my legs and have a little bit of me. Our belief and our reliance on God for this salvation is to get up, pick up, believe, wholeheartedly embrace that it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with God. Right? Amen? We renounce anything from our old self. It has nothing to do with that. It's solely God. Galatians 2.20 said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives with me, or lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have Christ in us. It is nothing that we've done. Our belief in Christ is our reliance on Christ, which gives us confidence, not in ourselves, but in Christ who is the righteousness of God. Verses 22 and 23 again here. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The righteousness is available to everyone who believes because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
there, there's been a, I, I, there's the, there's the saying, right? All sins are the same before God. You guys heard that something to that effect, right? All sins are the same. I think that's deceiving to a point um, because uh, many people will look at that, non-believers and, and believers alike will look at that and go, well, there's absolutely a difference between um, me striking you uh, um, and Hitler is always the example, right? There's, there's, there's always that. It's whatever I do versus Hitler. Um, it, all, all these massive distinctions. Of course there's a distinction um, between different sins and how they impact me and how they impact you one from another. Of course there's a distinction within those. But I wanted to illustrate it a little bit differently this way. I think be, because that statement is deceptive, I wanted to do two things. So uh, we're going to do a demonstration and I would like you to just sit still for a second, and once I get the instructions done, you guys can move accordingly. We're going to move around. So I'm going to have um, everyone up here who's ever told a lie, I'd like you to come up here. Um, anyone who has ever um, been sexually immoral, I'd like you to come up here. Uh, anyone who um, has stolen anything in the back, and murderers definitely to the back corner. Okay. All right. I'm glad no, I'm glad no one moved, right? We... We don't do that. I mean, we could, we could distinguish all of those. We could probably place ourselves in many of those camps. But I want to, here's the other part of that illustration. You can stay where you're at. Raise your hand if you've ever sinned. Everyone. Or should be everyone. And if you're not, you just sinned. So, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the idea here, right, is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to understand that the plan of God's salvation treats everyone equally within the scope of that. And when we look at that, that is a blessing for a non-believer, right? Someone who hasn't believed yet, we look at that, we grab a hold of that, and we say, absolutely, I, am, I believe I'm the worst of the worst, and God saves me. But once we've accepted Christ, we often lose that. As believers, this should cause us to, ret- um, to remember our perspective from the good and the bad days and to stop comparing ourselves against those who appear either more sinful or less holy than we are, even other believers. And we need to change our measurement against God's perfect standards and confess that we too and still have fallen short, Right? We still live in a sinful world, and on a, on a legal standing, we are set, but we still continue to sin and are in need of God's grace, and that should change our hearts and how, how we approach other people. Verse 24. This kind of goes back into 23 a little bit, so there's no distinction. For all have sinned, Then um, in 24 it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This justification is a free gift by God's grace for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Justification is the next new word uh, we'll learn if you're unfamiliar with. Justification is the act of being declared righteous by God. So it's, there's a difference here, and I, I, I use it as a, a slightly off illustration, but I use it with my kids. So there's a difference... Um, in our kids' behavior when we say, stop doing that, right? You can stop doing bad, but we are also looking for you to actively be doing good, right? It's not just stopping the bad, but actively doing good. 
And, and this whole justification righteousness thing is kind of that same idea of two sides of the same coin, right? On one side, with Christ's work in righteousness, we are now declared not guilty before God. But not only are we also not, or are we just declared not guilty, we also have now gained the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. We have been viewed in God's eyes as obeying the law perfectly. We're seen by God legally to be connected so much to Jesus, it's as if his actions were our actions. If you've not heard the illustration before, um, oftentimes people, you know, if you've accepted Christ in your life, that God looks down on you and sees Christ, right? He sees the works of Christ in your life and counts them for you, counts them accredited to you. So it's not just that you are no longer counted against God and the wrath of God has been moved on, but you now are gaining the righteousness and the work of Christ. And I want you to hold on to this truth, okay? Because we battle every single day with the evil one who tries to discourage us and draw us from the presence of God. We could think of it in two ways as well, as there's, there's sort of two courts. We have the heavenly court, and we have the court of um, your public opinion or personal opinion, Right? Your, your conscience in your mind. And you need to know that as your conscience waxes and wanes from your own standing of good day versus bad day, that in the court of the heavenly realms, you are set, you are bound and protected by the legal standing that you have with Christ. Amen? I want you to notice as well that in this passage, it talks about the free gift. This isn't an obligation by God to give you anything. But out of his love for you and out of his own favor, he's demonstrated his love to you in this way. Verse 24 again. Uh, And all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There is that other illustration, though, or the other the other half of that part of the free gift is that that free gift wasn't free. Right? It's free to you. But it costs Jesus everything. First Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or 19, the second half of 19, it says, you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. There was a price for your salvation. You just didn't have to pay it. There's a, another term, it's called, uh, and, I, and I was kind of learning this in the last little bit too, of the, this satisfaction of Christ is what it's called, this term. And it's in reference to the justice uh, that was served by Jesus by dying on the cross and forgiving our sins. That it wasn't that we were just pardoned, right? It wasn't that our sins were just sent away. It's not like they were never existed. And I know that that phrase comes out actually quite a bit. People will use that. Oh, it's like your sins never existed. That's absolutely false. Your sins absolutely existed. But you know what? Christ satisfied them on the cross, satisfied the penalty for them, and paid that. Those sins are paid in full. They aren't gone. They aren't missing. Right? In that part, they weren't just pushed aside as if they didn't matter. They mattered. And the justice of God needed to be displayed by the satisfaction of Christ dying on the cross. If that doesn't change your perspective on a free gift, it should.
Our sins were not just pardoned, they were paid for. Justice has been served through Christ. And in our daily lives, when we battle against our conscience and our mind, that yes, we still sin, yes, it's wrong, and yes, it's, it's inexcusable, but Jesus has already paid the penalty. And we can rest in that. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God put forward Jesus as the propitiation. This word is um, the appropriate cost for something. Jesus was put forward by God uh, as the payment, the right payment for our sin. To turn away the wrath of God from us and to pour it onto Christ. Christ's death appeased the wrath of God against our sin. But what's interesting in this passage is that God put that forward. God created a way to execute his wrath and his judgment that was necessary to do, that was established by him. God created that way to execute his own wrath, but without you having to experience the force of it. That was placed on Jesus Christ. God sent his son. God made a way. God sent his son because of his love for you. This propitiation is received by faith in the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is often uh, used in Scripture just as that reference point or as the summary of the cross of Christ and what had happened there. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works and serve the living God? It's found elsewhere. You can look those up, but as you see those references to the blood of Jesus or his blood, it's referencing the work of Christ on the cross. It's not our knowledge of sin. It's not our sorrow or even our repentance. It's not the work that we do or enough time in between our sins. It's not even our faith an abstract faith that we have that cleanses us, that cleanses our impurities. It is only the shed blood of Jesus on the cross once and for all, but applied to us daily. When we go back and look at that, it's applied to us daily as we continue to sin and do those things, sometimes more than once a day. And it cleanses our conscience and gives us a renewed sense of peace with God. It's only through the blood of Jesus does that happen. tend to be to the point. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think sometimes we, we need that. I think sometimes we need um, to be focused um, on some things, and I, and I don't mean to take away any joy, because honestly, all of this, as we look back on that, is supposed to be a joyous thing. But it's important that we preach the gospel to ourselves, and we remember these things in our daily lives. Because preaching the, to the God, or preaching the gospel to yourself does a couple of things, and I wanted to read some of these to you. Preaching the gospel to yourself daily <clears throat> means you aren't relying on your own work 
to your own works to define your righteousness before God. Preaching the gospel to yourself daily means that you live each day in faith of the righteousness of Jesus credited to you and not on your changing feelings. Preaching the gospel to yourself daily means that you can rest confidently that the righteousness is not based on your own works but on Christ. Preaching the gospel to yourself means that you keep your sins in perspective and act in humility because all of our sins can be forgiven. You hold, uh, preaching the gospel to yourself means that you hold to the truth that you are justified before God and Christ. Preaching the gospel to yourself daily means that you respond to your sin with confidence knowing that they are already paid for. We can move past them. Preaching the gospel to yourself means, uh, daily means that you can proceed confidently with your day knowing that God orchestrated the plan for your salvation. It started with him and it was completed by him. And through reliance on Jesus and faith in his shed blood to cover your sins, you can rely and believe the testimony of God. As he says in Romans 8, 1, that there is now, for not, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2.13 says, Having been dead in our transgressions, he made us alive, having forgiven our transgressions. And Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We can also dwell on his promises mentioned in Psalm 103.12 where it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I encourage you throughout your week, daily, to go back to this, to preach the gospel to yourself, to revisit it, to revisit other portions in scripture that define and describe the gospel message. Be familiar with it. Be confident in it. Um, that is what changes us on a daily basis. That is what changes our behavior and our attitudes and our mindsets in relation to that. Can you imagine if every day as we deal with frustrating kids or family or work or neighbors or someone we come in contact with, if we have preached the gospel to ourselves, how different our minds would approach those that are around us the troubles and the trials and the struggles that come into our lives, how different that we would approach that because of the forgiveness given to us and how we would be bound, how we'd no longer be bound, we'd be free from, the, from the, the evil one just reaching into our life and trying to draw us back, draw us back into the, into the pit, into the, the lies going, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And you know what? Christ has made us worthy now, sure, there's a whole other part about how we should do good and, uh, and do good works and do all those things, but you know what? That stuff comes from our understanding and reaching into and, and believing the gospel in our lives. We respond to the love of God, as I had mentioned before, that the love of God compels us to make those changes. So I encourage you, we are not going to be compelled if we are not reminded of God's love. So please be reminded of God's love. Visit the gospel. Uh, the band can come back up as I pray. Lord God, I just, 
I just want to remember and thank you for what you have done on the cross, for your work. Your work alone has saved us. And only by your free gift, by your grace, um, have you made it available to us that we can take hold of that. I ask that you remind, uh, remind us on a daily basis of your love so that we can respond to that, that it, that it goes down deep in our heart and deep in our mind, that we can remember where our standing is at before you, justified and right, and yes, we'll continue to sin because we live in a fallen world right now, but one day we will be glorified and we will be with you and that we are working and striving to that right now in response to your love. You do love us unconditionally and through that love made a way We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.